and welcome to another episode of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh, indeed, it's Spooktober. It's Halloweeny stuff. Oh, 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 oh. That's right. We're coming at you with very spooky topics this ah. week. It's Topic Ooh. Tuesday, so we got a scary topic for you. Don't worry. Oh. It was just the wind. Count Floyd. Oh, this is really scary. I, you know, we've been kidding you with scary stuff, but this week, yes, it's going to be very scary. Super scary. Oh, well, yeah, this podcast is rated P because there might be some. Yes, I, it's so scary, it scares even me. Ooh. <laughs> All right, Second City this, obligatory this, reference aside. This, this podcast is in Super 3D. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Can that even be a thing? Super. That's not how any of this works. No, it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, it started us out with some clowning. I uh, hope your week's been going good. Uh, yeah, we talked about vampires last time, and uh, we had some fun talking about that. And uh, got a little feedback from it. Uh, yeah, Ooh, yes. this does seem to be uh, a topic that still conjures up vague and half-formed memories of what it was like to be back in those halcyon days of the vampire masquerade. And, uh, of course, uh, some people uh, feel that that is a better thing to be gone now. I, I don't know <laughs> if I agree with that because I, you know, I, I had some good memories of it. Uh, yeah, probably some of the bad ones uh, have left me. Uh, it did give a new uh, player archetype to yell at and holler about. <laughs> it did. The it overdramatic, did. emotionally distraught drama student who should have... My vampire just... Oh, the envy. Oh, it's... oh yes, yes. The, the, <laughs> the perils of a long and terrible unlife. Uh, yeah, I, I'll pass. Uh, Crushing on me. Tighter, tighter and tighter. Tighter than my sister's jeans, which look amazing on me. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must be emo. Yeah, there's a reference you might get. But yeah, we had some fun uh, doing that podcast, and when, uh, we got a call in from Jason of RPG Nerd Variety Cast. Ah, hello, Jason. Yeah, so he's going to give us some what fours on what we missed and what we got right. So take it away, Jason. Hey, guys, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast here. Just a couple quick comments. Great show. I know you're emphasizing on Vampire. To be honest, I was aware of Vampire. I was living in Tacoma. I was at Fort Lewis and then living in Tacoma and running up Seattle a lot during that time. So I'm familiar with I knew the guys that were doing LARPs in the streets and all that. I read the books. I never played that. We were playing D&D and um, Cyberpunk. What was it? Um, Cyberpunk 2020, the R.L. Towson game. Anyway, point being, I, I never actually played Vampire, so I never got into that. I was maybe a little old for the goth thing. But I know a lot of people love that game, and it got a lot of people into role-playing. So a couple quick comments. I know you're concentrating on that game, but important note, I know you know this, but if anybody else doesn't know this, one of the earlier characters in Arneson's Blackmore campaign was actually a vampire. Because Arneson let players play good and bad characters and kind of go against each other. So you had a vampire, which led to the cleric being created. So we have the cleric in D&D because of a vampire player character. I know, Like I say, I know you guys know this, but some of your listeners might not. The SCA is LARPing. Ugh. I, I used to do the SCA. Um, I'm not going to disagree with you that a lot of people do it that way. But I, I officially, I'm sure they'd argue with your stance. But yeah, in, in practice, it ends up being that. The last thing I want to comment on is 
you used the name Assassin. I think you were referring to Steve Jackson's game Killer back from the 80s. Killer was a great game. It was a live-action LARP. You tried to... And, and I th- I'm pretty sure that's what you're describing when you said Assassin was Steve Jackson's Killer, which is a really neat game. You can probably still get it off Warehouse 23 Digital. They, you can probably get a digital copy of it. It's worth a read. It's a neat game. Anyhow, great job. Talk to you next time. Oh, and uh, hey, that was Jason uh, just coming back with us, um, uh, giving us some what for and what we got wrong. Yeah, um, definitely that time of, the, uh, of our lives was pretty much... Uh, going around doing some vampire stuff as well but uh i will take it a little test about being too old to be in the goth i mean i won't let Susie sue hear that <laughs> our dark queen we are not worthy and our 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 dark lord our dark prince robert smith of the cure who uh, even now does not describe he would never characterize himself as a goth musician or yeah. a goth band uh, or gothic but he was certainly adopted musically uh by you know, goth is everywhere as a beloved uh, performer, uh, and uh, in in due diligence here, I, I really gotta really gotta be perfectly honest. Uh, I was uh, at one time at the very end of the '80s, early '90s, a goth punk, uh, albeit a hybrid. Since uh, you know, we're we're talking about the American Midwest here, so the the punk scene was all smushed together, and there weren't that many of us so you know you you all inhabited the same space you shared lots of musical interests with your friends uh and it was very intersectional skinny puppy yeah you know you you could have the industrial uh techno kind of Bauhaus. yeah then there was the gothic crowd you know with the the true Bauhaus. uh you know Susie sue and the banshees uh and you know of course good old crusty gutter punks and uh, as well as, you know, glam. Uh, and, and even some metalheads like me that yeah. occasionally got into it. Of course, my black metal is of a very rarefied sort. <laughs> now, you know, here we're, we we intersect once again. It's a mutual love of Celtic Frost. Yep. Boy, I'm, I'm scared to be alone in the house with that album sometimes. But Yeah, but uh, point being, uh, it was a great time. There is no such thing as too old to be goth. That's right. Uh, you, it's a magnificent... You, you didn't miss the wave, although, you know, uh, <laughs> my, bot, my body is now like a, a gothic... Uh, cathedral? You know, gothic cathedral. Uh, ancient, cursed, probably haunted, crumbling. Yeah, probably haunted. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, but uh, on the other things... Um, but, yeah, there is blurry photographic evidence on the internet. Of oh, my, it's not blurry. It, <laughs> it's actually well-defined. We don't have no Sasquatch or Peterson film to go after. No, no. It, 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 all right, the evidence is pretty overwhelming. Uh, but yeah, There's a guy a, in a goth suit. Totally. It was a beloved time of my life. Zero regrets. Yeah, so uh, uh, talking about the um, cleric. Yeah, the role of the cleric. I wasn't aware that somebody actually played a vampire, but it wouldn't surprise me. They were pretty experimental. But I also yeah. know that... Uh, Neat. What I'd heard about the origins of the cleric was to counter some of the uh, point buys in uh, the chainmail tabletop or a war game to uh, thin out the herd because they were so cheap. But, you know, yeah, that's that's a fascinating element. And so thanks for sharing that with us, as well as uh, some of the ideals about, you know, uh, the killer game. Yeah, that's what it's called by Steve Jackson. The, it's colloquially known as assassination or assassin. It was played on college campuses. He was yeah. the first one to really put down some hard and fast rules. Yeah, he, he 
formalized the game. He gave it structure and definition and published the very first published version. Yeah, and it was called Killer, and it got a lot of bad reputation yeah. because of the name. Shamefully. But uh, it is a fun game, and yeah, it's, I think it's actually still available. I think uh, I was just looking through eBay a couple weeks ago and um, on Fleabay, excuse me, and I saw a book of it. So I think it's still being published at some point, but uh, I could be wrong on that. Just somebody selling it cheap. But, hmm. Yeah, shame on us for calling it Assassin when it should be called Killer. So yes, we'll, we'll the published that. version of the game is indeed called Killer. Uh, I had forgotten that. I still think of it because I remember it from the the age before Jackson Games published it, uh, where like it was even filtering its way into high schools. Uh, and its colloquial nickname when the looser rules were passed around by photocopy. Yeah, it was just two pages. Yeah, literally just two pages handed out amongst your friends. Uh, and yeah, back then it was assassin, you know, in the James Bond kind of sense. Where, yep. You know, danger at every corner. Uh, <laughs> you have no friends, only enemies. No, that was also a good time. Yeah, so, uh, okay, as well as thanks uh, for bringing that to us and our attentions. Jason, and we'll try right. to do better. I I'm willing to bet the SCA probably would uh, not want themselves associated uh, with LARPers because uh, while it is, for the most part, not what we would consider live-action role-play yeah. in the gaming sense, uh, it is a very, very different structured event. Uh, they have much higher criteria and a great many more demands upon them than your standard LARP. Uh, but I will defend that the existence of the SCA put the notion of remaining in character and you know bringing a role to life, I think it put it in people's minds. Yeah. Uh, so they were a huge Greg Stafford met uh, Steve Perrin uh, in the SCA. Really? And that's where they put the uh, RuneQuest game together. Steve Perrin on. being very uh, a big enthusiast, so yeah, role playing was is tied to the SCA. Uh, yeah, we owe it a huge nod because were it not for the SCA, you know, some of the concepts that worked their way into what we think of as ga tabletop gaming, uh, I don't think those concepts would have gotten as early an introduction or as firm of a connection as they would have. Hmm. Uh, that's another what if moment. Yeah, right? that's another what if. So we'll uh, put that aside for another time. All right. So yeah, take. Take care, and thanks a lot for calling in, Jason. So we're going to turn it over to Paying the Bills, and we'll be right back after these short messages. All right, and we're back. And it's a stark and stormy night. And, yes, things go bump in the night. And what is our topic? None other than that ghostly horror of the incorporeal nature. Yes, all the spooks and ghosts and... Phantoms and the things that spectrum. don't actually go bump in the night. In fact, you would consider yourself lucky if you were given that much warning. Yeah, they're usually pretty silent. Goes right through walls. Yeah, incorporeality. The the existence of creatures in the game that have no physical substance unless they choose to in some instances, or none at all. They exist yeah. in another plane of reality. A quasi-dimension uh, between the here and there. So Ghostbusters theme. Yeah. Who are you going to call? Well, you're going to call Adventurers because the <laughs> Ghostbusters don't exist. I'm calling the cleric. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the ghosts and the specter and the wraith are the ones we're going to think of most, but also include in here the banshee. We're going to spend a little time talking about the classic haunted spooks and specters that have filled folklore and popular horror for Countless centuries. I mean, yeah. literally, the, the the restless spirits of the dead, the ghost itself, 
Uh, good one to start with. The classic ghost. Yeah, I mean, the ghost story is basically the go-to horror tale. I mean, you know, the strange phenomenon of just not things falling off shelves or, you know, spooking the hell out of reality show stars. Now, I just really want uh, a track right now that plays the scary ghost sound howl uh, from, you know, Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. Oh, go, 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 ghost. Oh, yeah, thank or, you, Shaggy. Well, you know, the, the, oh, you know, the, the weird, they had a unique half laugh, half howl. Oh, yeah. That yeah, they would, yeah, they'd hit that button every time the ghost is coming at them. Uh, and I know they recycled all the same material over and over again, but it's classic for a reason. So I, I wish we had that right now, but the scary ghost. Yeah, and the ghost in uh, D&D, sometimes games, I think, when they try to replicate a specific uh, type of spook or haunt, sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong. And I think the ghost, unfortunately, uh, first edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, got it real wrong. Uh, yeah, this this was not like your... Your cutesy little poltergeist. Uh, the first edition ghost was brutal. Yeah, it just aged the crap right out of you. I mean, oh. unless you were an elf or a, real, a really young dwarf, you could basically, you're in some trouble. Well, I guess I'm hitting the middle age. Die four times ten years of yeah. age from an encounter with a ghost. Like, And this, this is based on the uh, old tropes about seeing something so terrifying and so unreal that, you know, like your hair turns white or, you know, things like that. If you watch uh, Ash versus the Evil yeah, Dead. Yeah, it, turn, you know, it turns your uh, uh, hair white and, you know, just, oh, you know. know Predernet unnaturally ages you so fast that, you know, but, you're almost a walking corpse yourself. Exactly. So, in the first edition, 10 to 40 years worth of instant aging if you failed a save from the sight of a ghost. Which I'm not even sure there was oh, a That save. was a touch. Oh, oh, the touch of the ghost, okay. Yeah, the ghost actually got into combat. If it got a hit in on you. Uh, but also the your, ghost... Your 20-year-old fighter who was ready to kick butt just became a retiree. Yep, in a couple rounds, yep. Going toe-to-toe with the ghost. So, you know, you say, well, that definitely puts the fear players in there. But, yeah, the ghost should be played spooky, and it should definitely be feared. But I think the third and later editions got it right, uh, where it was a template and... it could also be sometimes just neutral or aggrieved. And so it didn't have to necessarily be evil. Because um, the ghost was like lawful evil. In the uh, first edition, yeah. It is lawful evil. So like, yeah, it, it it's does, kind of... It, it conforms to certain rules. Uh, you know, although I never really thought of them as having all that much personality, per se. Uh, I never really exercised that. I should really kind of rethink my game and retool a little on that. Yeah, I like the uh, third edition take where it was a template that you just you created a normal character or a monster and then you slapped a ghost template on it and became incorporeal, spooky, and caused fear. And they nerfed some of the more egregious powers in later editions making the ghost template a scalable event. But whatever game system you're using the ghost itself is a perennial encounter that should be encountered in areas of the Typically, are thought of not only just as haunted, but dwelling in places that they've once inhabited in life. So, a ghost encounter could be just a random chance. You know, there's a ghost in the ghost tower of Inverness. Mm. For goodness' sakes, a g- g- ghost? Yes, uh, Shaggy, a ghost. <laughs> and you're going to have to go in there first. So, um, yeah. 
Nice read, Velma. Yeah. <laughs> Captain see. Lammers. Oh, boy. It was you all along. No. no uh, those in, weren't the ghosts. No, so. in D&D, uh, uh, there was no mask to rip off that ghost. It but just really was a The ghost was kind of a placeholder for a restless spirit that was somehow wronged or maligned or unfulfilled in life, and so now it takes its vengeance out in the living. And despite our... Uh, objections at it it is still one of the perennial uh spook encounters but i think the ghost is better performed with the specter oh well now you know uh, here's definitely a malevolent spirit that is uh, a shadow of its former self but still very tough and giving you two negative levels so yeah it's still scary and but it doesn't reduce you to an octogenarian after three bad combat rounds Oh, we have just three. Uh, oh, okay, well, you know. You know, uh, one serious hit by the first edition ghost, and, I mean, a bad roll later, and... Ah, oh, my lumbago's acting up. Somebody else take it. Take the lead on this. Where's my pants? What time is Matlock? Um, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, the Spectre, equally terrifying. Okay, that's a good one. I like the Spectre. It made a nice shake-up because... Uh, unlike the variable ghost, uh, the specter had a definable appearance. You know, its its appearance was reputed to be uh, people-shaped. It looked like its former self. Mm -hmm. uh, and certainly evil. Uh, translucent. Uh, again, non-corporeal. It did not have a physical body except for when it desired to manifest enough to touch people. And unlike the ghost, its touch drained levels from your character. Uh, and if I recall correctly, was it not two levels? Much like exactly. the touch of and a vampire. Yeah, well, they, did, they couldn't become manifest, but they definitely could uh, touch, you know, their their touch of their hateful existence drained you of negative energy. Yeah. And I want to explain... inflicted negative energy on you. That in-game, what this meant was, uh, even though it doesn't have a physical body... Uh, it exists on another plane of reality that is just a shade apart from yeah, the negative, normal reality. Yeah, the negative energy plane. And they could have contact with you, and you could have contact with them. But it required you to have a magical weapon, uh, a cleric, or uh, for them to you know, approach and touch. So they, they really didn't have anything to offer except coming right at you. So right. the, the fun of the Spectre encounter is that uh, it, was, it was pretty terrifying. To yeah, it was seven hit dice. It was pretty tough. And also uh, having that kind of half existence, unlike the ghost, which was kind of in the ethereal plane and kind of in this physical plane. The other thing that uh, actually we brushed past a little bit was the ghost's magic jar ability, the ability to inhabit someone else and uh, take them over. Somebody that was also Sam a more Dean. subtle use. And, uh, of course, we're taking it right by the horns, so this should be a Clem and Clyde rendition of ghosts and spooky spooks. But, uh, unfortunately, they weren't available tonight. So, uh, Drunk on moonshine. Yeah. I, I went by the holler and, uh, you know, wow. It smelled like nature died in there. It sure did. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the magic jar ability was one that I didn't see played up too much, but it's also added to another creepy factor that it would inhabit somebody, take them over, possess them, and then, you know, do whatever it wanted to. And but so, it like had, the rest of the party, after taking over their strongest fighter, who 
doesn't have the great will saving throw. Yep. You know, that was a classic ability of the first edition ghost. Yeah, we, yeah, and we it's still it's still we shouldn't have missed now. that. That was yeah. another good item. Uh, yeah, that's still available in the uh, all all through the editions uh, as oh. its magic jar because that's one of the great kind of perennial things. So that does make the ghost give it its weird, creepy factor. And of course, it also appears on the uh, ethereal encounter charts. You know, you're prowling around the ethereal planes for whatever reasons possess you at the time. No pun intended. <laughs> and uh, you counter ghost. Well, you know, I see you what know. you did there. Yeah. No. Um, um, but you know. Along with that is another favorite, uh, as we talk about the specter being a little bit more like a more uh, personified presence of a hostile undead. The groaning spirit, or banshee. Ah, the banshee. Banshee. The the banshee, or groaning spirit, which uh, is what it is listed in the original monster manual as... um, this is someone who, at it, the lore in game, is that it's an evil female elf mm-hmm. who has, you know, died and then clung to unlife as a way to avenge herself upon the living. And the sound of her cry, uh, a banshee scream, everyone who hears it saves versus death. If they're close, you know, if they're nearby, like, what was it, a 60 feet? Yeah. Uh, and if if you hear it, save or expire. Yeah. Instantaneous. Roll up a new character. Yeah. That just, wow. You are instantly sa- slain by the sound of its scream alone. Now, that was a quality scare for Ingram. I have run a couple of Banshee encounters, uh, and... Mm. Now, believe me, the flinch factor when the players realize that, oh, crap, that's a banshee that got close enough to us to sound off its its howl. Uh, those nearby, save or die. Yeah, and it's also interesting to note that the uh, the banshee, well, well, it lists its uh, range of attack as three inches, which roughly translates to uh, 30 feet. Oh, yeah. All right, game table inches. So, 30 feet was the... Those who were closest to it at the time that it sounds, save or die. Yeah, and also, uh, curiously, the exorcism spell drives them off, which is uh, par for course for a lot of the Catholic uh, uh, myths that were associated with, you know, that the blessing of an area by a priest would keep the uh, banshee at bay. Yeah, hallowed ground. A, a lot of traditional Catholic lore is included, uh, albeit altered ever so slightly to accommodate game terms. You know, any cleric can hallow ground if they are a good cleric. Or they can create unhallowed ground. You know, they can defile an area and make it a welcome place for evil spirits and undead. Uh, But hallowed ground being a place that certain kinds of undead could not cross. Uh, The use of holy water to drive away pretty much any form of undead. Holy water even affects the ethereal creatures, the non-corporeal, no physical body having. So creatures such as the ghost and the banshee and the specter and wraith, they're all affected by holy water. So, you know, there is a lot of lot of traditional lore. Well, uh, yeah, a lot of the undead are, uh, I think almost every single one is affected by holy water with this exception yeah. of a couple. And I think those are in the pink folio. But yeah, another thing is, much like the... Uh, 
the ghost, uh, the Banshee is semi-translucent, but not as bad as the ghost is because it can only fully be attacked in, uh, by an ethereal creature. And also uh, revisiting that too is uh, the supernatural power of a ghost is such that when the mere sight of one causes any human being to age 10 years and flee in panic for two, die 12, 2 to 12 turns, unless a saving throw versus magic is made in it, but clerics above 6th level are immune to this effect and all other humanoids above 8th level add plus 2 to their saving throws. Van Helsing, of course, yes. could stand there and go, you know, Avant, I will not, you know, give in to this. Yeah. I'm not afraid of you, petty ghost. No. However, uh, anybody killed by a ghost, including all the demi-humans, is forever dead. That was the other big uh, uh, class there, is that... There's no comebacks. Yeah, there's no know. coming back. You're forever dead. You're permanently removed from the game. And um, maybe Wish, I think, is the only way you possibly get your hands on but nonetheless, uh, like the Banshee, that whale that it let loose was one of the most feared attacks. And, of course, it's slightly translucent, but it can still be attacked. It's just that kind of semi-incorporeal state. Before it would be defined in uh, later editions, the Banshee was one of the great fears. And, of course, it translates from classic myth and uh, typical ghost stories. For instance, I think the ghost, if we want to uh, revisit this, is something else... Uh, I was going to bring up as we were closing, but I think it's good here. The Headless Horseman is a good archetype of the ghost. Oh, yeah. Oh. I think, uh, you know, that eventual... Murderously almost, inclined, but kind of rigidly bound by its... its uh, sort, yeah, of, it, sort of a code of its very own that, you know... The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, of course, one of the great American ghost stories that was first to see print, really pushed the idea that... Here was a recurring spirit that people poo-pooed and dismissed until you saw it yourself. And, well, you usually, if you were lucky, you lived to tell the tale only because you ran at the first sight or sound of its approach. <laughs> Do not interact. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, while we talk about maybe the clumsy handling of its main attack, that's where I kind of am at with the ghost. That's where my mind goes to is the ghost of Sleepy Hollow. Very good example. The Headless Horseman itself, well, you know. Ah, yeah, a Hessian soldier beheaded, and now revisits it again and again on its victims. Well, another one to bring up, the classic Wraith. Uh, yeah, and is, here we go back to the other part. The, is, the Wraith is more of an indistinguishable force of evil. You know, yeah. less, less human-shaped, it doesn't have, it doesn't present an image of, like, a guy, you know, or a woman who just is undead, you can see translucent, and on the attack. No, the Wraith is... More horrific in aspect. Yeah, in the very original editions, they kind of were referred to as Nazgul, but of course removed for other uh, reasons as well. But I don't <clears throat> yeah. really think that they represented the Nazgul as well. Um, I think the Nazgul are better represented kind of by the Death Knight. Ooh. Interesting. Uh, a little bit better, but, you know, uh, of course they're a lot more sorcerily inclined, but uh, a lot more magical powers. But a little bit, yeah, the, they are shadowy race former shadows of themselves, I should say, rather, and bound to a hateful purpose. But uh, the race itself is also a classic uh, mysterious, shadowy creature that attacks glowing red eyes or what have you. Comes out of nowhere and, you know, attacks, drains your levels and runs away. Or, uh, you know, you end up having a powerful enough cleric to turn them. Or attack them with fire. Hmm. Gee, I wonder where they got that from. But yeah, the, the Wraith is uh, another good one for pulling out the stops. But still, all these creatures are, are almost still the same 
forgive me, shades of <laughs> that spectral haunt. And so we go to the fiend folio next for the poltergeist. Ah, now this was a terrific inclusion. I was glad when they came up with this because it distinguishes itself from the classic lore of the, you know, graveyard ghost and the familiar images of, you know, like a uh, translucent figure. The poltergeist, on the other hand, is a presence that has the ability to physically influence the world around it uh, and which is angry at everything. uh, And... It gives the DM some wiggle room. You you can do all kinds of things with the poltergeist that you cannot do with a ghost. Yeah, um, and it's also a low-level encounter. It's not going to drain everybody at levels. It's going to pelt you with a few objects and drive you away. And, of course, during this, uh, you have to make saves to uh, or versus fear or run away because of the unnatural happenings. But, again, it's another one of those spooky monsters you can throw at low levels and yet still has a tinge of that creepy, haunted, eerie stuff that you want to put in with a graveyard encounter or haunted house or haunted dungeon. The haunted dungeon. Oh, yes. Uh, and using it as background fodder, where, like, this isn't the primary encounter. No. But it can add a lot of spice to what yeah. would otherwise be a pretty standard routine dungeon. You throw a poltergeist in the mix, and initially the players may not know what's going on. They... They're yeah. getting pelted with objects here or there, being trailed around, uh, harassed and annoyed, but not fatally injured. So it's not a true combat encounter at the onset. Uh, if they twig to the fact that it is an undead presence, then they might be able to start dealing with it as a poltergeist and getting rid of it. But if you play your cards close to your vest as the DM, uh, you could make good use of that. It was a terrific monster to add. Yeah, just unlike a specter that just walks out of the wall or out of the graveyard and just starts attacking you, you know, coming at you. Uh, Way this more one subtle. was a lot more subtle. I remember a dungeon magazine adventure that had a poltergeist where a thief had died and then he'd become his spirit of a poltergeist was rest, restless in the area and uh, reactivated and moved the trap. Not doing as much damage as the original trap that killed him, but still rattling stuff around, making you uneasy, and then, you know, hurling objects at you, as well as moving parts of the trap to grind you up a little bit. True. Um, that was a really Harsh good one. You know, Another was... creature from the Fiend Folio that I was very fond of was the Apparition. Oh, oh yeah. man, I'd forgotten the stats on that. I... Yeah, that comes at you, another incorporeal <laughs> creature that uh, strangulates you. Just comes up and reenacts its... Uh, uh, death on you, and uh, as Peak CHU kills you, you have to make basically a con saving throw and uh, or expire. So, yeah, the, the apparition, another one. But again, all these different monsters, for yet still the same thing a semi visible, uh, unreal haunted uh, creature haunting an area or manifesting itself into this plane once again from the realms of the dead, unfulfilled angry and remorseful attacking you again and again. I think this is a common theme, even if they give different stats for different things. I, I do want to mention one other from, oh. I believe this was Monster Manual 2, which was the creature titled The Haunt. Yeah. Uh, which actually uh, could attempt possession. And if I remember correctly, this was included in Module uh, A2, The Slaver's Stockade. Uh and in the Hobgoblin Fort, there was a haunt, uh, which it typically is trying to complete something uh, to meet some circumstance that 
was related to its untimely demise. Some issue that it was still incomplete, like, I never got this locket to my wife's grave, uh, and I can't leave this area without possessing a body. Uh, now, the haunt could have any backstory you want. Uh, variable alignments, variable mm -hmm. interests. Uh, it could be incredibly malevolent or reasonably benign. And the haunt basically attempted to take a player character over not because it intended to do great bodily physical harm, uh, but because it wanted to accomplish its last mission. Yep. And so they were hard to reason with because they were so driven. Like, something alive is here. I can finally accomplish my task if I just take them over. But they weren't necessarily up to any ill deeds. Uh, and repeated attacks, which I believe reduced dexterity uh, with each attack, eventually led to a player being vulnerable to a possession by the haunt. Right. At which point they would then try to carry out the task, whatever it was. And it might not be a task the party likes. Oh. Uh, again, you know, there were methods for the exorcism of a yeah, haunt, much like other things. Uh, so it was not a high-level or super-powered creature, but it was a very interesting take on the ghost possession. Yeah, and haunts continue to this day, so... Uh, yeah, they're still uh, represented in the uh, more modern editions. Yeah, Pathfinder has a pretty good uh, take on haunts as kind of a trap or uh, set-piece encounter. It only is in a localized area, much true to the first one. Um, I think also they had the uh, kind of... There was a, wasn't there some escaped slave and uh, somebody watching over them that was also taking the form of a kind of ghostly figure? Oh, I believe there was. Okay, it's coming back to me. Yep. I, I haven't read that Captain segment Lammers. in A2. I haven't read that segment in uh, A2 in quite a while, but I do remember that first encounter with the haunt and that yeah, was okay. that was classic use of the immaterial undead possession uh you know scary but it turns out slightly different than you might expect so certainly deserves a good nod yeah and, and as we're talking about spooktober here the reason why we're bringing up these uh crazy incorporeal undead is because it looms large in our psyche and the reason why there's so many monsters representing much the same thing, just different stats or different ways that they're played out, is because it's such a part of our background in our psyche and in our imagination and our stories. Who doesn't love a good ghost story? You know, from the whole thing of, you know, driving down the road, you see, you know, the hitchhiker, you know, and you go back and they're gone. And then you say, oh, you know, is there somebody down the road looking for a ride? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's the, you know, you saw the ghost hiker of, that's Crazy Joe, the ghost hiker. Yep. You know, it, yeah, uh, the ghost story is part of every culture, everywhere. Everybody has a, uh, a tales of the uh, spirit that will not rest in some respect. And it takes a lot of different shapes. It, it has a lot of different attributes. Uh, but, man, uh, you know, horror and horror fiction uh, would be so much poorer without the concept of the restless spirit, the ghost. Yeah, and it, it is endured for the very reason that death is a great mystery, and we don't know what happens, and it's, in a way, sometimes comforting to know that there is kind of an afterlife or a semblance of afterlife. And, you know, you can take it all the way back to the Greek mythos or the Egyptian ones, that the spirits of the dead roam the earth on certain days or are let loose. 
during certain times or calamities. <laughs> Undead recess. Yep. Everybody out. <laughs> oh, no. I, it is a one of those universal parts of culture that people respect. So it obviously, and it like is, so many other things, got incorporated into game terms just like yeah. everything else. And it's appropriate for the season because Halloween, while it's technically looked at as the All Hallows' Eve... The day before all the dead are released for a while, or at least for one day. It is very fitting that we talk about these kind of spooky creatures and the way that the game has attempted to bring different ones in to represent different forms or even different ghost stories. That's the way I prefer to look at it is that, you know, not each one is necessarily unique. Uh, perhaps they can be classified under the system that, you know, you have to categorize monsters to know which one you're dealing with so that the game master can appropriately adjudicate it and run the encounter. But he also has to be versed enough to have some stats in front of him rather than going off the cuff. But in true fashion of telling a ghost story, sometimes the best ones are the ones you make up. And that's kind of why where I'm at here. I'm going to lean a little bit to Pathfinders because I've had a lot of fun running the ghosts in Pathfinder system that you can make up an actual character and turn it into a ghost that has different motivations. And it actually has a, a higher form of interaction rather than just like, okay, you know, like the Banshee, yes, those around the elf, the groaning spirit. Yeah, but getting an advanced editor function for your undead encounters, uh, you know, this is a thing that 3.5 and ultimately Pathfinder yeah, uh, it's got continued building on, and they just developed a much better toolkit for the DM to customize. Yeah, make that ghost encounter customized to whatever scenario you're running at the time. And that's that's kind of what we're saying here. Not that, you know, uh, playing a first edition ghost is terrible or anything like that. I mean, again, like we said earlier, the magic jar effect is often overlooked, and we did it right off the bat because I was a bonehead and forgot about that. No pun intended <laughs> to the undead. But Happens to the best of us. And we get ahead of ourselves, we get all excited and keyed up to do this stuff. And so, all hyped up on Yoo-Hoo and Zebra Cakes, we just turn the mic on and just let loose. Ah, <laughs> uh, let the demon... Well, you can expect no less from the third-tier collateralized debt obligation of gaming podcasts. So I'm sure there's a few uh, Incorporal Undead we left out of there, but uh, oh, I'm pretty sure, sure your patience with us and your eardrums would regret... Uh, or would like a reprieve. <laughs> oh, we've done enough harm. Yeah, if we've only, done enough harm. If only we were incorporeal. Yeah, so if you get a chance, uh, you know, throw some incorporeal <laughs> dead of some type in there. Have a race come suck a few levels out of somebody. Or better yet, have a ghost show up and scare the pants off everybody and age them ten years. Your oh. players will thank you. <laughs> no, they won't. They no, will probably... No. Under no circumstances. Expect no gratitude for this one. But it is Halloween. This is this time of year to run those restless spirits. <laughs> You know, I, I didn't expect the the mage I was playing to become an ancient crone for at least another 80 years. Thanks a lot. It happened before Tuesday. Ugh. Oh. Yeah, well, but yes, um, we'll give you a reprieve, and we'll be coming at you Friday with some more spooky topics. But in the meantime, we're going to uh, let you loose early, and also, if you have any uh, comments, questions, concerns, things that we missed, which we sure we did, let us know on our Facebook page. Also, let us know on the Anchor app. You can leave us a message there, and we'll host you on the show. So, until next time, though, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. Ooh. We're out. See ya. Ooh.